0: broadcasting live. Weekday morning, this is listener-supported
1: one radio network.
0: And we are live and we are indeed listener-supported. We appreciate your support. We're kind of moving into a new um, stratosphere in our website after years of relying totally on uh, product sales where we did a commission, right? Well, we've uh, just... The sales, uh, just a little business here, the sales have gone down considerably considerably in the last six months, and we can talk about Fred why that might be, other than I'm Patrick's crazy. But our listenership is is actually been growing a little bit. So it's not that the peeps are gone, it's just that I guess folks don't have as much money as they did six months ago. And if you go to the store and you pay $25 a pound for a ribeye steak, you know it. Yeah, what I'm talking about. So we've been eating a lot of hamburger, but it's good. Uh, so that's it. Um, if you'd like to uh, uh, donate to our site, simply go on the donation tab. There's a bunch of them, few of them, and you can send us 10 or 20 bucks a month and done, done. And then you'll help us and that's what we're doing now and working on this. Because if we can't rely on the, what are we going to do, right? We can move to California and uh, the government will take care of us. I mean, that would be a, a plan, right? Just, just write a letter to Newsom and say, hey, why don't you just just kidding. Fred Dashefsky is here on Wednesday, the first Wednesday of the month. We took last week off. So Fred is here now on the second Wednesday. He is the um, head, head uh, uh, cook and bottle washer guy at U.S. Coin Capital uh, with an O, <laughs> with the building capital, and a former partner of our dear friend Andrew Goss, who three years ago he left us. And Fred has- uh, Four. No, is it Four. Wow. 2019. Wow, see I missed a whole year. And of course we have 15 years of show, well, let's say 12 years of shows with Andrew Goss had no cost and then all the shows since with Fred had no cost on one radio network, all the audios and a lot of the videos. So Fred runs a coin company and then does a lot of research and it's US Coin Capital and we'll give you the phone number if you wanna get some silver and gold and stuff like that. Fred, good morning.
1: Good morning, Patrick.
0: You're looking good. You got Welcome your American flag. Line. That's right. You got your American flag and everything. So, Mr. Dashevsky, in the last two weeks, um, the amount of articles—and I don't do TV, set, Fred, so I don't know—but on the interweb, that Al Gore invented, articles with the term "de-dollarization" has been everywhere. So my question, my question to you is this, because you're a smart guy. So if we take the conjecture, our conjecture, that the Dollar Inc. people who we talk about, the boys, uh, either own a lot of the media outlets or sit and meet with a lot of the media people, why would they be running this de-dollarization thing up the flagpole? They got to know what's going on. They got to be part of it because they, you know, like I just said, what do you think? Why would they Why would they be doing this?
1: Well, you know, I don't know that they are dealing with, uh, let's say, control of the media on a day-to-day basis on a an so. article-to-article. Really? I don't think it's quite hmm. that. Uh, you know, I, I think they've got uh, a broader control over the ownership, let's say, of the large corporations. And right. we know that the media in America has been consolidated you know, what was it 20 years ago? I think there were a thousand independent outlets and then it became 200. And what are we down to now? I think it's there's seven. Yeah, seven basic, or, s- seven uh, or eight corporations
0: own everything, Freddie. Yeah. Anyway.
1: So they effectively own all the newspapers, all the radio stations, all the media outlets, all the television programming is effectively down to about seven major corporations. My gut feeling is that I don't think they are really controlling the day to day news. You know, it's it's. I think they're sort of dealing with the broader picture stuff. So they're not going to stop an article from coming out or an opinion that's going to be promoted about de-dollarization. But I have said this numerous times that when people tell me that they think the dollar's world's reserve status is coming to an end anytime soon, uh, I still have a hard time with that uh, because effectively I don't believe that dollar, Inc. boys – and since we've talked about this you know what i'm, I'm referring sure. to there yeah, for those I'm that are not familiar with this <laughs> you know we believe that the dollar's entrenchment has been so well uh, established that i don't expect that there's something going to roll over and let anybody take over the dollar's reserve status regardless of the news that you hear regardless of the pushback from other countries you know because when you look at it carefully you know people th- say things about you know china is pushing back against the dollar well, the reality is, is that China has about three percent of the world's reserve status, and that's it. I mean, they well, are you talking big about as the yuan,
0: the RMB, whatever the national thing. About three percent, right?
1: Okay, about three percent of the world's you know currency is dealt with in Chinese yuan. So, hmm. you know, they are a minor player uh, amongst the the larger nations when it comes to this sort of thing. And again, I just don't believe for a minute that the dollar ink boys are simply just going to allow somebody to, after all these 70, 80 years of entrenching the dollar status, that they're just going to roll over and let somebody kind of push them off to the side and have somebody take over as the world's reserve currency. Well, it's a fair point,
0: but, but you have also grown up in this model from day one and it would be, I, I would understand where you, it would be difficult for you to see, see a change. You know, that's, right it's kind of like
1: oh no i I, i'm not having a problem with that at all in in other words i see the pushback and i see the rationale for the pushback right you know i think i've i don't know if we've talked about this on our shows or not but i think we've made political decisions that almost force these kinds of things to happen you know we do stupid things politically that aggravate uh well you know we start imparting um you know, goods and services from around the world, but then we start putting sanctions on trade agreements or Hmm. we put sanctions on Russia because we're trying to push back against the political problems that we see that are happening. So Russia invades Ukraine and we fight back by putting sanctions on Russia. How do we not expect that there's going to be pushback you know, buy Russia against yeah, the US had, dollar. Yeah, so in other words, my point being, I think we're causing the problem as much as we are not intending to. Right, that was so what my original
0: is. idea was. Why would they be causing the problem? Because the dollar rank people have to control Biden on some level. They, uh, they at least control the Fed and Yellen, she's she's all in, <laughs>
1: yeah Yeah. i I think in a lot of cases we're dealing with after the fact problems i i think they do Hmm. things to solve their political problems first then we get a kind of a result that they may or may not have anticipated or or how far it would go Uh you know maybe they were thinking okay we're going to put these sanctions on russia and that's it it's just going to be quiet they'll accept it they'll roll over without a pushback well no that's not what happened so (laughs) russia decides not only are they going to try to push back, but they're going to try to align other countries to come with them, which they are. And go Iran, to China and say, "Hey, China, Iran, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's let's get together and push back against these bad Western bankers and bad Western guys, and you know, let's see if we can create our own environment." And they may make some headway in that regard. And then we now have the boys saying, "Well, okay, if this is what's going to occur, we have to address that problem." But I think you and I know that there is no way that we just simply watch this evolve without some significant pushback coming from the boys, even if that means finding a pretense for war against these countries, because I believe we would do that to support the U.S. dollars' world Which reserve status. Which they did, of course,
0: in, in Iraq and, and Libya and, and other places, right? I mean, that's, Yeah, it's that's, not
1: unprecedented. <laughs> yeah, that,
0: that's on the record.
1: All they have to do is come up with some political excuse, and, and in these modern days… Uh, Honestly, how hard would that be to come up with an excuse to invade whomever is pushing back against the dollar? So now I do see that the dollar's status is being chipped away a little bit here and there over the years. So little by little, you know, we aggravate people. We keep this control and a lot of countries are saying, well, why do we have to be locked into this? I understand what our rationale was initially, but we don't like it anymore and perhaps we'd like a little more independence. So they try to make some efforts to push back. And, you know, the things like the bricks that have come up that people are talking about and other efforts made by some of the foreign countries. I just, again, don't see that it changes rapidly the status of the U.S. dollars, world reserve currency status. It may happen over a period of time that little by little it may not account for as much percentage wise as it does but I think it's going to be a very long time before we ever see a point at which the U.S. dollar does not stand as the world's reserve currency, not only because the boys are so well entrenched, but there is also the other side of this, which is how much do people really trust Russia and or China? There is a lot of fear when people look at the Chinese currency because the government there doesn't tell us everything up front. You know, they're not obligated like we are to be as you know open about their economics as as we are in the U.S. and in the West. So there are a lot of countries that are concerned about whether China's telling the truth. And if they're not, how can we trust their currency and what they're telling us about their currency? So it's not going to be so simple.
0: Quite a few stories about how much China really has, that they allegedly have a whole other fund that rich people in China put their gold into. So they don't tell us, even though... You know, they don't tell us how much gold they really have and nobody knows.
1: No, but speaking know. of gold, so here's an interesting thing. The central banks around the world have bought more gold yep. in the last 24 months than any time in the world history.
0: I saw that. They 24 months more, up, more,
1: more, man. more than any time in history. Well, they so know what's the com- quantities of gold <laughs> yeah. that the central banks have been buying has exploded. Russia has literally purchased uh, I want to say it was a million ounces of silver, of gold. Pr- forgive me. Uh-huh. Yeah, 31 tons of gold have been purchased by Russia in the last 24 months.
0: 31 tons. That's a lot of gold.
1: Tons. Yeah, so that's a million ounces of gold. Well, let me ask you. A couple you, uh, million yeah, dollars worth.
0: I don't want to get too far afield, but it's interesting. I, I've i been following it too. So you say in the last 24 months, all the central banks have bought more gold than they've ever had in the history however. ever. Yeah. Where does all this gold come from? I mean, if I'm Russia... And I say, okay, George, go out and buy 30 tons or whatever. Who do they buy it from?
1: (laughs) Well, they either buy it from other central banks who are willing to sell off some of their own reserves or they have to go directly to the mining companies and and purchase it directly from the the manufacturer, if you will, uh, of the gold directly. What's interesting to me, Hmm. though, is looking at this, this is not just Russia who's done this. Everybody. It's all the central banks. So just about every central bank on earth has been accumulating more gold in the last year or two and what I question is if they believe that their currency was going to be stronger six months or a year from now they would not be buying gold with their dollars or whatever their currency is today in other words they would expect their currency to be stronger in a year they would wait allow the currency to get stronger then use that currency to buy more gold later on they're not doing that which tells me that there's I'm, you know, getting a little suspicious here, but it seems to me that if you draw this out, why would they be buying so much gold now with their own currencies unless they expect their currency value to go down going forward? I see. Oh, and they're protecting yeah, themselves by buying model, gold today.
0: Yeah. Or it could be, too, that if, if they feel like gold is going to be a lot more scarce, it's over 2000 now, and it's going to be costing more. You know, if things go, up, prices are going up, there's a natural tendency to buy now. I mean that's
1: sure yeah you know, that's what? but it seems to me that it's a balance between you know if you think your currency is going to be much stronger in a year it'll outpace the growth in the price of gold you would wait but if you don't have confidence in your currency you're going to say to yourself hey let me get rid of all this money and paper i've got and buy that physical gold now because i think it's going to cost me more to buy that gold in the future hmm. there are a couple of traders and again i i don't put a lot of credence to the guys that do charts because charts to me are always post in, they're always after the fact information you sort of are looking backward mm-hmm. and then trying to make a conclusion based upon what's already happening but the chart guys are saying that we may be in a new trading level where this may be the new bottom for gold
0: I've, I've and we seen may that. be now
1: yeah. setting this, a point at which you know the 1900 now becomes the floor the $2000 level and then from there we start seeing a trading range between 2000 and let's say $2,300, 2500 there are a number of very smart guys lining up on that side of the uh, economics. And I find that very interesting because a lot of times you would think once you hit this $2,000 mark, you know, first time it's been here in a couple of years, only the second or third time in history. There has been some profit taking, but it hasn't slowed down hasn't this slowed kind down. of increasing yeah, pace. It's uh, amazing. A
0: fellow that we have on from time to time, I like him a lot, is Tom Luongo, Gold, Goats and Guns. And he's a chart guy and he's making that argument right now. Uh, you know he's okay. he's very bullish now and he says that this is this is going to be the bottom of course you never know i mean things you,
1: know, you never know but a know. lot of times these guys have you know historically been able to find things charting them out that do and turned out to be accurate um i just find it a lot of future prediction going on when you do that sort of thing so uh, there are too many variables a good example the last time you and i had a podcast together there hadn't even been a banking crisis situation yet.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's right. right.
1: So look at how much has happened in the past three we or four weeks. need to talk about that, yeah. Um, where that situation wasn't even on the table at the time. There was nothing about that at all. And we keep talking about that these exogenous events come out of left field that we can't predict that alter the economy. And I keep saying the size of these things now have been so big that every time one comes up, it's, it's massively effective. And look at what this, this did. I, I, think, I think there's a couple of things I took from this. The first one that I found almost humorous was how much effort the banks spent the past decade trying to convince everybody to go to mobile apps. They were all pushing on it to everybody, sure. right? Use the mobile app, get your banking app, get it on your phone, all that wonderful convenience of having the mobile app on your phone. I don't think the bankers thought this through that in a panic situation, that people would swipe $100 million out of their checking accounts in a matter of seconds, the moment they woke up in the middle of the night and found out that there would have been a bank failure. The banks were totally unprepared for this. So when Silicon Valley Bank went under, by the next day, There had been hundreds of millions of dollars withdrawn from U.S. checking accounts and savings accounts instantly because people picked up their phone, heard about a bank failure. You could do it that quick. I guess
0: you could do it that quickly, huh? Just instantly. boom, Boom. Transfer it anywhere you want.
1: Yeah, just let's say either to another bank you thought was safer or just simply draw it out and, and take it, take hold of it so that you could figure out what to do because people were worried that this was a systemic problem. But you can't, you that can't,
0: the, you can't take a million dollars of cash out in moments notice. They don't, they won't give it to n-
1: you. Not in cash, but you can transfer it from one account to another.
0: Oh, to, to another bank, one of the big banks. Sure. Or whatever. Yeah, or, yeah, even, or put it into
1: a money market or even account. Or, or whatever, yeah. whatever you wanted to do with it, buy gold with it, which a lot of people chose to do, or or simply move it to one of the larger banking institutions. So some of the big banks actually benefited tremendously from this banking crisis because they ended up getting hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of new money because a lot of people were afraid of these little banks that had gone under. Um, The other thing is I wanted to make clear from the very beginning, from the first time I heard about Silicon Valley and everything that's happened subsequently – I did not believe, nor do I now, that this was a systemic banking issue like 2008. 2008 was a crisis that crossed the entire banking system. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just limited to a handful of banks. It affected everything. We were on the brink of a a complete economic disaster that we thwarted by putting up that 900 billion in TARP overnight, Mm -hmm. the emergency meeting we had between the Fed, the Treasury, and the big banks to solve that problem. When Silicon Valley went under, by the next morning, there was an emergency meeting between the FDIC, which was guaranteeing deposits up to 250000 but the Treasury, the FDIC, and the government decided immediately they were going to insure accounts over 250000 even though the FDIC had no liability to do that, simply because they didn't want the public to panic, and they saw that if this was going to be the beginning of a problem, that if multiple banks were going to fail, what you didn't want to happen was this overnight kind of national panic of people saying, oh, my God, Jimmy, you know, the banking
0: system is Jimmy Stewart. Is collapsing. Lama, right? Jimmy Stewart
1: yeah, let's just get our money and run, and yeah. everybody starts withdrawing their capital. So to stem the flow of money out of the banks, hmm. the Treasury and the FDIC uh, got together immediately and said, we will insure all accounts, no matter how big they are. Even though the FDIC was only supposed to guarantee up to two hundred and fifty, they went beyond that. Where so does that no money American-
0: come from? The FDIC doesn't have, yeah, well, okay. I mean, they're going to create that money on a computer somewhere. That's where it's going to come
1: I from. I had that in my other pocket. It was in my other pocket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm ahead of you. So... You know, the FDIC has an insurance program that they've existed since uh, the Great Depression, and that was their purpose, was to provide a backstop. So if there were bank failures, like we saw in the Great Depression, the idea was to keep it from becoming systemic, and that they would at least let the public know that, hey, your deposits are guaranteed. Now, what people did, moving money, for example, to mutual funds, uh, which you could do, again, with a swipe, Most people don't know mutual funds are not guaranteed by the government. They are not Hmm. FDIC insured. So those funds stand at a lot more risk. But that having been the case, the Treasury Department certainly stepped up and the FDIC certainly stepped up and said, We want to make sure the public is confident that whatever happens with these individual banks, it's not going to, you know, cross over to the entire banking system. And that turned out to be the case. So let me see if I'm clear then
0: the millionaires supposedly, a lot of the Hollywood people, and who had millions in SVB, they didn't lose it. Uh, nope, they, it they lose had, a cent. Somebody created it from somewhere, you know. The just, FDIC unless would they had it in from their, their,
1: let, their account, unless. They, and but what f- they're going to have to do now, they'll have to turn to the banks and ask them for more money. You know, because the banks all contribute to, to the FDIC. That's FDIC. where their funds come right. from, right? It's the insurance policy. So each bank has to put up a certain percentage of their assets. They'll probably be asked to increase those percentages to secure the whole system, inevitably. Are they but claiming I they had they enough
0: money price. in the FDIC coffers to cover SVB, or do we know?
1: Yes. Well, they, they were able to do that. And then by the second or third bank failure, Uh, What ended up happening is that the big banks, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Citicorp, they all got together. They chipped in to bail out the next two. They put up about $5 billion each and just said they believe so strongly in the U.S. banking system that they were going to put up their own capital. I believe that. And what they ended up doing (laughs) is they ended up buying (laughs) out these banks. They just absorbed them.
0: And isn't that where it's going? I mean, there was a lot of uh, uh, chatter about the insurance with uh, Yellen and she was very noncommittal, and I believe it stands like this today. You tell me the community banks, the Bank of Dripping Springs or whatever, there's still just a $250,000 deal for Patrick if I've got 300,000 and the bank burns, whatever. But at the big banks, there's unlimited insurance.
1: Is well, that, is that true? It is true, but I don't think they would allow it to happen to where you would lose a dollar if your little local bank were to go under only because I don't think they want people to panic. So I think they're going to make good because here's what they've done now. They've set a precedent. You know, they allow people that had more money in one bank to be covered. Right. What are they going to do then? Turn around to you and go, sorry, we don't like you as much as we like them. So therefore we're not covering you, but we were willing to cover them. That's not going to fly. Hmm. So they're, they've set themselves up now as a precedent to have to follow through that if there are further bank failures, Which, you know, Jamie Dimon thinks there are going to be, and so does uh, Warren Buffett, although I'm not really sure where their concern is coming from. Because if you isolate what happened, you know, for example, looking at Silicon Valley, this was not a smart application of capital on their part, right? They took all the deposits that they gained, which they got, for example, by paying higher interest than anybody else. Mm -hmm. They wanted to bring in all this new money, right? All this, fresh all this capital tech, money tech money. All the tech capital, right? So how did they do that? Well, they paid more in interest payments on deposits than anybody else did so that they could draw in all this new capital. What they didn't count on was that the Fed was going to aggressively start raising interest rates. Right. So what they did with all that capital they took in, they bought a bunch of bonds. But they did this almost two years ago when the bonds were paying about 1.5% return. So, then the yields went up because the Fed raised rates several times, four or five times in a row. Now the current bonds are paying twice as much, 3.5%. So the bonds so, they have
0: are worth a lot less.
1: A lot less. And then what happens is you get this overnight redemption because people start swiping their you know, their mobile phone device because they panicked when they heard the bank was failing. They withdraw all this money, so the bank is losing capital, hundreds of huh. millions of dollars being drawn out instantly. So now they have their assets to try to raise money to solve their economic disaster problem, but the problem is they're holding bonds that are paying one and a half percent. When they try to sell them in the open market, everybody snored. Everybody looked at it and said, well, why would I buy your bond at one and a half percent? I could go buy a new one from the treasury today to pay three and a half percent.
0: Or I'll give you 60 cents on the dollar, six cents, whatever.
1: Right, right. So they couldn't raise the capital anywhere fast enough. and That's why they went bankrupt.
0: But why, wouldn't they be smart enough, I mean, there were people predicting rate hikes were coming. A lot of
1: people. Rate hikes were, came, huh? Yet they did nothing.
0: I, but why would they? I don't
1: know. Uh, well, therein lies the problem. <laughs> why would they not have addressed this problem? Exactly. You should have figured. After watching, for example, you know the biggest disaster in that realm, Orange County, California. You know we saw this happen when they had a bond portfolio that was so huge, and when the bond market went against them because rates were climbing, and they didn't adjust accordingly. They got stuck with a massive bond portfolio they could not liquidate. And it caused a, a massive disaster. It bankrupted the entire county. You would think after having seen that, that these banks would have learned the lesson that when interest rates are climbing, the last asset you want to be holding are treasury bonds with low yields. So not only did Silicon Valley have treasury bonds with low yields, 90% of the assets that that bank held were in those types of debt assets, wow. those types wow. of treasuries. So wow. that's what, what put them under.
0: Well, uh, this this maybe harkens to, a lot of people are arguing out there that the banks are all kind of in it together, the boys, uh, you know, all the banks, and they want to turn this thing into a third world whatever because, you know, they want to do a central bank digital currency. That'll be their Hegelian dialectic. It's possible.
1: Well, it certainly, you know, <laughs> is easy to see that and uh, easy to make that case. You know, every time something happens, people utilize that as a way of sure. supporting that argument. Sure. You know, this is another step toward or another excuse to, uh, uh, you know, and again, that's that's it's easy to do that. I kind of parse between those things to say you can't necessarily take every event and support these positions because it's not really correct. Well, people
0: but who do who are making the it. argument, you, you get how, why they do this, right? Sure.
1: Absolutely get yeah, it. They, Absolutely get it. They do it. How, how, easy enough to create support for that argument when you have these kinds of things happening you know because other than that you have to accept the idea that these bankers were that ignorant to not recognize the flaw in what they were doing in a rising interest rate environment to have 90 percent of your assets in low yielding bonds that become worth less when interest rates are going up it's either that they never anticipated this rapid withdrawal of capital or they thought that the fed rate hikes would stop Hmm. and maybe they would start lowering them again hmm. as the recession problem kicked in and they were just trying to ride it out and they just timed it badly but i think that was a dangerous game to play so. you know it's it's fine if you're an individual investor and you're sitting on some treasury bonds with low yields you, you and, hold okay yields like, go up yeah. and You know, you've got other assets and so, all right, you'll get less for those bonds. But when you're a banking institution and you're supporting the value of all the depositors in your bank with your assets and your assets are comprised of things that are becoming worth less and less every month, and there doesn't seem to be any end to the Fed's rate hikes. I mean, okay, CPI came out today. It was a little softer. So now, according to their numbers, we're at about a seven or so percent rate of inflation annually. Still too high for the Fed, which means they still want to keep rates climbing. This is not ending anytime soon. So this was just bad management on the part of the banks.
0: An article out this morning on Zero Hedge, one of my uh, haunts, French President Emmanuel, Emmanuel, whatever, Macron, message of building strategic autonomy away from the United States uh, when he was had a little mini, three-day meeting with Jean. So he's now talking down the dollar in the United States as well. Macron. Yeah. Of course, he's 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 involved with the
1: euro. Yeah, he's a globalist. Again, I just don't see this happening without a pushback. And we haven't even seen any efforts by dollar boys to push back against anything because I don't think anything significant yet has occurred. But I think they are aware of what's happening. And I'm sure that there is a plan on the books that if things get too far down that line, away from the U.S. dollar, there will be a significant pushback of some sort or another whether it's political military or whether it's just economic you know they will find a way to uh, sustain the dollar's reserve status so, so, I, I just don't think it's yeah, going to the fade saudi away saudi
0: saudi arabia spent a lot of time trashing the dollar lots yep. they they met with she and kind of dis biden and iraq now is is off the, the the iraq is off the dollar peg they are off as of the last 2 or 3 4 weeks so they're going sure. yeah, with their little dinar thing or whatever that's worth. Um, so there are people doing it, but I suspect your argument, if there's 40 trillion or so, we don't even know the number, do we, of dollars out there circling around the world, uh, earth, it'd be a, a big step to, to take this guy down, this big dollar down, right? It would... T-
1: Yeah, it would. It would require changing so many things. So the structure of all the payments that are currently in existence would have to change. All the payments made on existing debts would have to change. Everybody around the world that stockpiles dollars, stockpiles U.S. treasuries, all these things would have to be fundamentally changed that they would accept now another form of currency payment. It's just not something that's going to be logistically very easy to accomplish, even if the decision were made completely today to say, okay, that's it. The dollar's reserve st- status is over, and we're going to allow every other currency to float on its own, and whoever rises to the top, great, you take over. Even if we wanted that to happen like that, it just isn't something that logistically can happen very quickly. It would require, I, I just think it would take years uh, I, so to make those structural What I hear you changes.
0: saying is that the dollar losing its reserve currency is not out of your stratosphere of, of possibilities, but if so, it's going to be a long time. Five, a
1: long, years. slow, inevitable your- stretch, chipped away at it little by little, as opposed to let's say an overnight like people are coming up with dates all the time. You know, yeah. it's supposed to happen last year, two years ago, and next June, and this everybody's got a date where this is gonna happen. Like somebody's gonna flip a switch. I just don't believe it's gonna be like that. If it happens at all, it's gonna happen over a very extended period of time, little by little. But in the meantime, I think it's very interesting to see that the world's uh, banking systems, all the central banks seem to already decided that whatever happens going forward, they all believe they're all all their currencies are gonna get weaker, and they're all loading up on that physical gold as wealth protection. Uh this is part of what's been driving the price higher. Plus of course the dollar now, it keeps tapping that 101 on the dollar index. Remember that peak was one fifteen back in November. Yeah. Wow. And gold was sixteen hundred and fifty dollars an ounce and silver was eighteen dollars and sixty cents. So today you've got silver at over $25 an ounce. 25. And you've yeah. got gold at 2020.
0: Hmm. Is it 2020?
1: Yeah. Wow. It was this morning. I haven't looked in about an hour, but Oh.
0: Yeah. Silver 25. And
1: the futures market and the, and the and the metals have caught up. There was a gap there for a while, but the physical side of the spot price of gold has actually caught up to the futures market. Uh, and that kind of indicates that there's real solid support So I think the chart guys, you know, who are suggesting that we may be at a point where this is the new low, they may be right.
0: Should like to see that silver get back up to $50 for a while, just for fun, just because it was so cool. That would be fun. When was that?
1: Well, it's happened a couple of times. We had a a blurb Hmm. a few years back, right after 2012, there was a little spike. Um, And then, of course, we've had a couple of times where it's crossed that mark and always been short term real fluctuations drove it up real quickly and then it would completely fall back down within a matter of weeks so i'd like to see it sustained at 25 30 30 you know climb like that more slowly because i think that adds support to it rather than let's say it just jumps overnight to 40 or 50 on the back of some news you know because then it's going to be subject to a quick fallback as well anytime any market goes up that fast you got to have profit takers, so you got to get volatility. Mm-hmm.
0: Our phone lines are still out, and they claim any day now. Boy, it's been a while. So email if you have a question or comment for Fred Dashevsky this morning, as we're live here, April twelfth. Patrick at one radio network com. Patrick at one radio network com. Fred Dashevsky. He buys and sells gold coins for a living. That's what he does. Uh, We try to get him to play golf, but he doesn't do it. He just buys and sells (laughs) gold coins for for a living. Here's his company here, 800-878-2646. So, Fred, what have you seen in the last month since we've talked as far as prices for what you sell, the numismatics that are graded by third party, and also the currency silver? What have you seen price-wise?
1: Considerable increases in the past six weeks that were fairly flat from january and february all of a sudden just just exploded so um there was a point i think beginning of march so literally let's call it you know four or five weeks ago uh things like twenty dollar gold pieces were running in the twenty five hundred dollar price range they're now thirty one hundred dollars a coin really so that's a pretty big price jump uh within a five or six week period you know Again, there are times at which I was really uh, uh, hot on the idea that gold seemed to me to be underpriced and coin values seem to be a little bit lower than they should have been given the state of the economic environment. And sure enough, we did get that response. So uh, we have had pretty big price jumps in the past few weeks. And I think that's going to be a continued trend because demand is absolutely outrageous. It, it just opened up like floodgates in March and has continued right through April to roll right through that period where lots of money is coming to us from all sorts of places, all sorts of people in large and larger volumes because a lot more people are beginning to grasp the nature of the problems with banking's systems overall and the value of paper money overall to the point where, you know, we've talked about how the sustaining value of the dollar, in my opinion, is based so much on psychology more than fundamentals. You know, I think it's how people perceive the dollar – more than its actual relative strength. And that perception is subject to change very rapidly, Mm -hmm. which we obviously could see. Look how the response was when we had a few bank failures, how quickly people responded. I mean, it was instantaneous reaction. So uh, I think the value of the dollar is subject to an awful lot of change. And I still think if we crack 100 on that index, if it goes below that, I mean, we could could see a free falling dollar.
0: Really? And it would just be... Uh, Loss of confidence and people getting out of the dollar and that drives the U.S. dollar index down. Yep. Hmm.
1: Drives gold prices higher, drives all the, you know, the cryptos would probably benefit as well. Mm -hmm. People are looking for alternatives. And, you know, why are they looking for alternatives? It's because they're not confident that the U.S. dollar status is going to stay the same. I mean, we had a fundamental problem before the banking system problems that occurred in the last five weeks when we were looking at the size of the debt and the interest payments on the debt obligations the government has and you know how much they're bleeding money you got a government spending a trillion and a half dollars more a year than they bring in they're paying a trillion and a half dollars a year in interest payments on their debt there's no end in sight you've got a federal reserve bank that seems to be way behind the curve waited way too long to address the financial problems and the way they've addressed it creates real fundamental issues that i don't think they really fully anticipated i think it's, it's almost like a doctor doing diagnosis. We think we know what the answer is, so we're going to try this. And if it works, then we, we're probably right. If it doesn't, then we'll go back to the drawing board and say, well, I guess we were wrong about what we thought the problem was. And I think the Fed is, is like that. They make a move and then hope to see whether or not what they did has the correct response in the overall environment. If it doesn't, they go back to the drawing board and say, well, that didn't work. Maybe we ought to try something else. So... Their effort now is just keep raising interest rates because inflation is absolutely resistant to this interest rate climb to date. Although we've seen a little slowing down in the ISM, we've seen slowing down in the economy a little bit, it still hasn't had the impact the Fed wants. So they will continue to want to raise rates, but they're gonna get to a point where they're gonna shoot themselves in the foot. They're going to cause a recession. We still have an inverted yield curve the likelihood of recession is still extremely strong and the Fed's only response to recession is to lower rates. So we're going to raise rates to fight inflation. We're going to raise rates to fight inflation. Then we're going to turn around and lower them right back down during the as recession. As soon as the economy slows down too much because we overdid it.
0: I thought their job was to uh, not have these booms and busts Isn't what they argued when they created the Fed in 1913, right?
1: They're right? like, just doing it poorly. You think? <laughs> They're doing it poorly. And they're creating bubbles all the time by doing this stuff, too. So they create real problems with the economy because they sustain the wrong environment for too long. So when rates are going up for too long, too far, too fast, it creates its own problems. If they lower them too quickly or not enough, they create their own problems. There is no simple answer anymore. And, you know, unfortunately, as I've said before, we're past the political area where we can make political decisions to resolve this. We're down to economic decisions, but there is no simple answer because the fundamental problem simply won't go away. You're creating money that is unbacked, and you've been doing this for years at an ever-increasing pace. You can't simply just make that go away by a couple of rate changes. It's just not effective enough. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be experiencing this problem of a weaker dollar going forward for quite a long time to come, and I would anticipate that people who are holding money right now, they're seeing it. Uh, anecdotally, they're seeing it firsthand. they know the dollar is buying less regardless of what the government tells us people know how much food costs are going up and how much labor costs are going up and how difficult it is to buy any kind of commodity or or physical asset without paying a hell of a lot more than you did a year or two ago and I don't think that trend's going to stop anytime soon. so I think the Fed is screwed uh,
0: Eli is in San Diego it uh, takes a lot of courage just being out there and Is there a way, Fred, that that I can find out if my funds in a smaller bank I have over two hundred and fifty are insured rather than just um, suppose that they would be taken care of as you conjectured?
1: Well, I'm telling you, they're not insured. They're not insured. However, they're not. FDIC has a two hundred and fifty max. That's the cap. However i believe at this point what's going to happen is if there are a couple more banks that fail that they are not going to allow people to lose any money simply because i don't think they want this to cascade and and create a bank run you know they don't want people to lose that confidence so i think by default they would cover accounts over 250. now they're not obligated to but i like i said earlier they've set a precedent by having done this with the first few bank failures that have occurred I find it hard to believe that they would then turn around to this person's bank and say, sorry, we've decided that we were willing to cover these people, but not you. I think that precedent has been set. So I think they will probably follow through. If that bank should fail, they would cover the additional, especially at this point in the game, because they don't want this to spread to, you know, just imagine what happens if this becomes a systemic lack of confidence in the general public, everybody who's got it's not
0: it's not a done deal though he still needs to be cautious because it may not he may be incorrect on that right
1: yes they may not support it but i i think that they, they have no legal obligation to and they could easily make the argument that what we've said is what we're going to do we we guarantee up to 250 if you were willing to risk more money in a single account beyond that you took that risk you're going to have to absorb that loss um again that 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 obligation is not locked in so there's no guarantee that they would cover anything above 250 i'm speculating and i want to be clear about that that i do believe that the treasury and the banking industry at this moment in time would probably support accounts above that simply because they don't want everybody to turn around and, and be fearful that their money is going to be gone out of their banking, you know, banking accounts overnight. Uh, what, is,
0: what is the federal funds right now? Is it close to five percent? Four.
1: Five point five.
0: Five point 5. five. That's the percentage. Uh, that's a percentage that the banks pay to buy to borrow money, correct? And that.
1: that yeah, and that's the Fed can, you know. The Fed can alter these things by paying more on the Fed deposits, so you know, if the overnight window pays more, then they can encourage banks to leave more money with the Fed. If they want to lower that, they can reduce the Fed funds rate. But what's happening, of course, according to a lot of people I've talked to, uh, especially in the real estate business, is that borrowing money is also becoming a lot more difficult, regardless of the rates, that it is getting a little bit more difficult to get banks to be willing loaners now. Because, again, they're finding themselves with a little bit concern of how much assets they need to hold in the event that something else happens that may require that they have liquidity. So, you know, First first Federal, uh, that bank went under because of mortgage problems hmm. more than the other banks that went down, which were more related to either crypto deposits, which had a problem because FTX when bank Friedman went down, right? So FTX was a crypto exchange. When it faltered, everything tied to crypto suddenly became suspicious. And a lot of banks that were heavily involved with the crypto people uh, suddenly got a lot of redemptions because people were worried that this FTX failure was a might lead to a lot of people withdrawing from those crypto bank funds. So the next thing you know, the banks tied to the cryptos went down and the banks tied to these um, tech companies that were tech startups that have been heavy investors suddenly also became somewhat suspicious. So this is why I think that this banking problem is a little more isolated than a 2008 kind of problem that was again systemic across the entire banking system. This to me is more isolated. So mm-hmm. there may be another couple of banks that do fail as a result of what's happening recently. I don't think this is going to spread across the entire banking system. So I don't think people need to be concerned about that, but it's very interesting to see, like I said, how quickly the confidence arose. And I really do believe the bank shot themselves in the foot by having encouraged everybody to move to mobile apps without thinking how rapidly these redemptions would occur in the event that people saw to say, woke up in the morning and said, hey, wait, I don't know what's happening here. Maybe I should just swipe left and take my millions, you know, get it out and well, just put it somewhere in 2023,
0: else. 2023, I mean, you saw what happened with the SPB thing. I mean, uh, uh, twitter facebook i mean all the social media they were all over this thing man it just was like wildfire
1: it didn't take long for it to spread right now remember it wasn't too long ago you know you don't have to go back more than five years Mm. 10 years at the most but five years even where if you wanted to withdraw a large amount from your bank you know it meant a a trip to the bank you know you went down you sat in front of the banker and said Mm. hey i want to take this money out of my Mm. account i want to move it and there was a time lag You know, they had time to soften the blow. They had time maybe even to talk you out of it because you would sit there in front of the banker for a while while they did all this, you know, you know, transferring, you had to sign forms and fill out this and do that in order to move your own money. Again, I think the advent of mobile apps uh, kind of backfired on the banks. Uh, I think they wanted everybody to have that convenience because I think their thought was that if you have your banking app on your phone, the chances are you'll probably make a lot more transactions And of course they benefit profit wise from you know everything they make, they make a little money on every transaction. So if they can encourage you to do five times as many transactions because of the convenience of having this on your phone, well they're gonna benefit from that. I don't think they anticipated the other side of that, which is if you suddenly got fearful of the status of the bank that you just might wipe all your money right out of there instantly. And that's what they experienced. They've never seen redemptions at this level so rapidly hit the banking system. Overnight, and they weren't prepared for it. Hmm.
0: And so is an app uh, that, I mean, it's the same thing as going online to chase.com to your account and transferring. It's just qu- yes. more quickly when you got the little phone there as you're driving to work,
1: right? Right. <laughs> and you can go online with your phone, right. so it's effectively the same thing. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm drawing the distinction between Again, the old days, the old days, where you literally had to go to the bank to do this type of thing, where nowadays it's, you know, it's a mobile app. It's a tap onto your laptop and just withdraw the funds. Just move it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the banks have definitely faced (laughs) the advent, you know, foisted by their own petard, as they say. Here's an
0: email from Susan. What's the difference between liquidating my 401k and buying gold and silver or... Putting gold and silver into my 401k, is that possible from Susan? Okay,
1: so Hmm. in order to put money into a 401k, most of them don't allow you to do that with physical gold or silver. So the only thing available to you would be either, you know, you could buy mining shares, you could buy options, you could buy ETFs, which are probably the most straightforward way of doing it. Um, But you generally can't take physical possession within a 401k. The IRA accounts, uh, they do allow for physical gold and silver, but again, it doesn't go into the point where the possession is in the hands of the investor. You have to have your IRA account with uh, with a bank that would hold gold for you. And several banks are set up to do that. So you move your IRA account to that banking institution. You then direct them to use some of the funds in your IRA. They buy gold for you, which by the way, can only be in one form. American gold or silver Eagles that's it that's it. It's the only form you can buy then those gold coins are shipped to the banking institution which holds them in their safety deposit and keeps them safe for you and gives you an accounting of the gold or silver that you've purchased which at some point you could then either sell or at your retirement ask them to ship it to you at your redemption point so if you took the money out of your 401k directly you may have to pay penalties or you know because you may not be of the age where that's allowed but if you are uh and even if you're not you pay whatever penalties are necessary you pay the taxes accordingly but then with those funds in hand you can own the physical gold or silver coins that you buy even, and have in the your choice of any yeah. any gold or silver yeah in
0: your possession
1: yeah yeah and you can have any form you want not just american gold or silver eagles you can buy any kinds of gold coins you want So the fundamental difference is whether you have it in your hands or whether you are leaving it with a third party and hoping that they sustain the account correctly and that they do the right thing when it comes down to you wanting to require that they liquidate this at the end, Hmm. that they've actually done what they're supposed to do. So far, I haven't heard any real negative stories. I've heard a couple of quirky things like somebody bought some Silver Eagles at one particular year. I forget. I want to say it was... I don't know, 88, 89. Anyway, there was one year where it turned out the mint produced a lot less of these silver eagles. And they turned out to have a higher premium value than the other dated ones. And when this person asked to get his silver eagles, he expected to get that date. And they informed him they're not obligated to do that. Mm -hmm. They are only obligated to give him the number of silver eagles that he purchased, not a specific date. So he lost out on all of that. Uh, benefit of having bought that year with that rarer date but, because well, the bank wasn't obligated to But silver to eagles
0: them. aren't uh, um, real American money. I mean, did, I thought they were just uh, bulk silver,
1: right? They are bulk bullion as the and gold so coins are. So what does the date, are, the date matter, coins, Fred? What does it matter what date it is? Well, the date matters in some respect to some of the collectors who do pay attention to how many they make. And sometimes with the gold coins, there huh. are different sizes and in, in one or two years that maybe they only made a few of the quarter ounce and made more of the 10th and the and the half ounce sizes. So there are a couple of dates that tended to turn out to have, you know, a little more value than other dates. And again, all I'm saying is that outside of those kind of things where the banks are saying we're not obligated to support any specific date, uh, the process seems to have been working well for people who chose to have these IRA, golden IRA accounts where Gold and silver are purchased, but not held by the uh, respective Mm. customers.
0: So, if someone goes to the Mint and wants to buy a Silver Eagle today, do you know what they have to pay for those?
1: Their Uh, premiums are huge. mm. Uh, The last time I looked, they were about $12 over the spot price of silver. So, like 50% more than the silver price was the last time I looked at them.
0: 50%. So, it would be like close to...
1: $37 for a Silver Eagle
0: And that's almost an ounce of silver, an ounce of silver? It is
1: an ounce of silver.
0: And what's what silver coins that you sell are the biggest silver content? Silver dollars, the old ones?
1: Half dollars, half dollars, quarters and dimes are the closest to melt. And the premiums are pretty close to what they are on these silver eagles, if not even a little less, even though the premiums have gone up quite a bit. So I think they're a better value overall. You're getting more silver. And you're getting something where the supply is already fixed. Whereas with the Silver Eagles, with those exceptional dates notwithstanding, they're all the same. You know, one from 87 is the same as one from 2017. So, you know, it's irrelevant. Uh, And again, they can keep cranking out more of them. So the supply of them is not limited or fixed. So the premiums on dimes and quarters and halves has settled. But it did go up quite a bit from the lows we saw at the beginning of the year where, again, I had pointed out I thought those premiums were looking extremely low and I couldn't believe that we were able to get coins at those prices and then within a matter of no time that evaporated right and the premiums here. you know, just skyrocketed. This so. is what
0: you call currency silver, right? Currency yep, silver. Some silver. people call them junk silver. I don't like that term. I mean, what's junky about pure silver?
1: <laughs> well, the junk silver reference is for any of those circulated coins that are of the lowest possible quality so if you get like a quarter and you can't even read the date anymore and it's like you can't even see washington's head the eagle's worn out on the back you could see it's a round shaped coin you know maybe you could tell it's a quarter probably can't even read the date anymore that's the junk silver quality the ones i work with we call coin silver are above that quality because i want the dates and there still to be some what we call meat left on the bone you know so the dates are still visible you can still tell what they are in the event that somebody wants a particular date you know and that may happen in the future that some dates are worth more than others at least we have that opportunity I see. you know yeah. because so that's what you what that's what are. you
0: prefer to sell you don't sell the yes. the, the rubbed out date things
1: I stay away from the lower quality junk. just—it just just, because the difference is pennies, literally. It's just a few cents, and I can get off the bottom of the barrel and get the coins of better quality. Mm -hmm. You know, some things have happened, like uh, we used to include a lot of the Walking Liberty half dollars from the 1940s and a lot of the Franklins from the 1950s in the mix of silver half dollars. That's getting harder to do, and those coins now have separated themselves. If I wanted to actually go out and get a full, let's call it a full bag of silver half dollars that were all Walking Liberty halves, I have to pay a lot more than for the 1964 Kennedys. If I wanted to get a full bag exclusively of Franklin's, I have to pay a lot more for that than just for the regular 1964 Kennedys. So, you know, the the fact that you can read the date may become more important as time marches on. I don't want to dismiss that by saving a nickel today. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't seem to make any sense. So, yeah, we try to deal with better quality coins. And uh, people call me every once in a while who buy bags, you know, thousands of coins, and they look, hey, I found this. You know, this half dollar, it looks like it's worth, but yeah, okay, it was in that bag. I, I'm not going to go through a 1,000 coins to find the one that's worth a dollar more. I'm going to leave that stuff in the mixed bags that sure. we sell. So people tend to get a little That'll better value sense, by yeah. us staying off the bottom of the barrel and moving off the bottom of the junk pile.
0: Here's an email from Randy in Chicago. Thanks for having Fred on uh, once a month. Well, yeah, we do it once a month. Um, does he see that some of these really expensive coins, like worth ten or $20,000, go up in value as the price of gold goes up? That's a good question. Do they go up? Yep. Does, it, does it go up? So say I got a coin that I paid 20000 for, which is easy to do, depending on what you you know, you know can find. Sure. Right? Would that be Old going up as gold goes to 2000 Would this coin that I have be worth more today than two years well,
1: ago? Well, the, the chances are it is, but not because the price of gold went up. No. But it's because of what caused the price of gold to go up. So the value of a rare coin, let's say you have a $20,000 gold coin. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have $20,000 worth of gold in it. (laughs) No, no. Okay. We've had little gold dollars, and a gold dollar, a dollar gold coin, is about the size of a dime. I've seen those. In fact, slightly smaller. So imagine how tiny that is. It has a tenth of an ounce of gold in it. So, literally, a couple hundred dollars worth of melt value, and there are gold dollars that are worth two or three hundred thousand dollars. That's so ridiculous.
0: That's how rare they are.
1: Size is irrelevant to rarity.
0: And people are willing to pay two or three hundred thousand dollars
1: constantly because they're not looking at the size, they're looking at the rarity. Yeah, wow. So, Hmm. why a coin like that goes up in value is more about supply demand characteristics and what drives the, since the supply is fixed. What drives the demand are a lot of times the same kind of variables that make gold prices go up, which is higher inflation, weaker dollar, uh, more expectation of inflation in the future is going to cause people to take more capital and move them into physical assets. That's what will improve the prices of those rarer coins more necessarily than the intrinsic price of gold going up, because obviously if a coin is worth, you know, even $20,000 that has $200 worth of gold in it. If the price of gold moves up 100 bucks an ounce it effectively has changed nothing Hmm. in terms of the value of that coin's gold content but it has had some response to its price because what's driving the price of gold going up is the same variables that drive the price of those rare coins we keep setting records every time there are new auctions for coins that cross the million dollar barrier coins in the hundred thousand plus price range there are many many more of them that ever were existence before and again, I think that's just a relative uh, expression of the rate at which paper money is losing price value.
0: Yeah. Well, I know that you and Andy used to go to a lot of these coin shows or some. Do you still do that?
1: I have buyers now that do that because um, for a minimal amount, I can have people go through the process of Look for spending the weekend at the show and doing the whole trip and the hotel room and then going to the auction and buying the coins. So... I don't do that as much anymore it's just become less necessary now in the modern world it's a little bit easier for us to do this through a handful of heavy buyers that i work with extensively and i get access to what they do without having to physically go and it doesn't really cost me a lot of money to do that with them so i save myself the time and effort and trouble of doing all the Major shows, but uh, we still do participate in an awful lot of them. Some of the big auctions, and if I'm not there directly, I have people that represent us who are out there at these mm-hmm. uh, at the biggest shows. And there are about I don't know, maybe a dozen what I would call major coin shows throughout the year. It starts in Florida with the United Numismatic Conference. We have shows in Chicago. We have shows in Long Beach. And these are big shows. I mean, tens of millions of dollars worth of coin trade ends over a weekend, wow. and about everything that you'd want would be available from the more generic to the really, really rare. And every time you know we have one of these, there's uh, information that comes about what was there and what wasn't. Hmm. And you know, lately, what's being gobbled up are a variety of things. But even the common generic gold coins, and by that I mean let's say a standard American $20 gold coin, which is probably the most popular investment coin that costs today between 2600 and 3000 a coin, they are being gobbled up by the investor market at the shows. So the dealers are going with lots of inventory, coming back with nothing. Or they're going out to try to buy mm-hmm. coins and finding there's just not a lot to purchase because the amount of money coming into the industry has just absolutely exploded.
0: So there's a CPI report out that's a little bit cooler, according to Wall Street Journal. How could it yep. be cooler if uh, prices at where I shop keep going up and I own everything at the H-E-B yeah. in Dripping Springs? It doesn't look cooler to me, man. I don't know. How do they do that? I, how it do they imagine. do that? <laughs> yeah.
1: Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. So Mm. obviously the numbers are somewhat cooked, but what's happening is that inflation is not going down. It's just rising at a slower pace. There is a difference. mm. So it is still going up. It's just not going up as rapidly as it had been at the peak. And I accept that notion. I think we've seen the, the peak growth temporarily in the current inflation environment. It will continue to go up, but not quite as rapidly as it has been. And again, now parsing that, you know, the the traders will look at that and say, well, that's good news because that translates to a Fed that will not have to raise rates quite as much going forward. People like that because they want to see the rate hike stop. But I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. I think the Fed is going to announce a rate hike next week. um, Again, at the next meeting, because they have not beaten back the inflation beast yet, and their target to try to get inflation down to 2%, I think, is totally unrealistic.
0: So so they really have a target, and they really believe in the 7% number, whether or not it's cooked or not. They just go yes. with what, they, <laughs> what their geeks put out, right?
1: <laughs> and even based on their numbers, they're 5% over their target. So they have a long way to go to keep raising rates to get it down. Mm. So everything that comes out of Powell's mouth and every other Fed uh, governor or Fed president— has effectively been the same. They are fighting inflation, fighting inflation, fighting inflation. That's the target more than stimulating economic growth. That'll come next, which will mean, again, they're simply going to reverse this process that they've just imparted on for the past two years, which to me is just just ridiculous.
0: The whole thing seems cattywampus to me. I mean, couldn't you live with a higher inflation rate? was
1: that word? Cattywampus.
0: Uh, couldn't you live with a higher inflation rate, as you just said, You maybe, maybe their two percent is ridiculous, and keep things moving and jobs and people. And I mean, I mean, prices always yeah, go up a little bit anyway, don't they?
1: Sure. The problem becomes political, you know. So yeah. you get a lot of pushback from people, and they start yelling at the politicians that somebody <laughs> needs to do something because my costs are going up and I can't afford my life anymore. So help me, Mr. (laughs) Politician. So the politicians get on the bandwagon and they start hammering at the Fed and saying, you guys need to, you know, make this economy better for people. And obviously, I I don't believe anybody thinks the government could do anything about this. So they're leaning on the Fed. If we can't politically attack the problem, we have to do it economically. How do we do that? We use the Fed. But the Fed only has a limited number of tools at its disposal its raising rates or lowering rates is pretty much everything it can do. There's not a lot else that the Fed could actually do. Again, it can do things within that realm. For example, it can raise the uh, discount payments that it makes to banks to encourage more money that the banks held, or it can lower those rates to encourage the banks to be looser in their lending standards. It can buy bonds. It can sell bonds. It can manipulate stuff over its balance sheet. Oh, speaking of... Did you notice how had the Fed began to lower its balance sheet? I did. I saw that. Then the banking problem that. hit, and the next thing you know, they ended up buying a huge amount of treasuries to, again, add liquidity, and the balance sheet went right back up to where it was. 9 trillion. And I think right now we're, we're probably pretty close to where we were at the top end. I mean, where were we? It was 8.9 trillion at yeah. the peak. I think we're at 8.7, I think, at the last H4 release. I haven't looked at it in the last couple of days, but well, my well, point being that whatever process progress they'd made in lowering their balance sheet was instantly reversed when the banking problem kicked in.
0: And so you understand this. Fred has taught us that the balance sheet is important because we know that the Federal Reserve Bank of New York creates dollars to buy stuff. I mean, that's how they do it. They monetize debt. And I've often asked Fred, well, what does it matter? What well, just just maybe have 15 trillion on your balance sheet. And Fred talked to us about confidence, right? It's just yes. about confidence. When the central bank has a balance sheet of $10 trillion, people out there know people in no the No one money else is
1: buying this debt except yeah. the Fed. Except that's the Fed. Not, that's not good. not good. I mean, that's you, you don't want one customer for your company,
0: Yeah.
1: right? You don't want a company that runs on one customer. What happens if that one customer fades away? You don't want a country have its currency supported by its central bank creating money out of thin air to buy treasuries from its treasury department to support the currency and have that be the only entity willing to hold government debt. You want that spread out around the world. You want everybody to want to hold your debt because this way no one entity holds any large enough quantity to affect the economy. And if it's left to the Fed and it's only the Fed People begin to get somewhat suspicious about why no one else wants to hold U.S. dollars. <laughs>
0: they start asking questions. You know that,
1: uh, sure.
0: They start asking questions. Um,
1: but again, I keep looking at what the what the central banks are doing. They all seem to have looked at the current environment and concluded that going forward, their best bet is to buy gold. Buy gold, as opposed to even trying to strengthen their own internal currency. They've all just said, "Nah." I think our currency is going to be weaker. We better buy gold now in current dollars and stockpile it. But the volume of gold purchasing in central bank activity, I, you know, it's 1,100 tons of gold that's been purchased in the last 24 months. I mean, that's a huge volume of physical gold.
0: There's a bill out in Texas, and there are a bunch of people pushing for it. They want to do a state Texas uh, um, digital thing uh, by, backed by gold.
1: Oh, sure. That might and be I think a fun. lot of con- uh, I think there are about 23 states that have all been looking into some <laughs> form of a, you know, metal-backed something, yeah. whether it be digital or currency. You know, again, why are they even venturing down that road? You know why. What is, <laughs> right? What's wrong with the dollar? Well, obviously, I think they understand what's wrong with the dollar, and it's leading them to a point where they're willing to suggest other alternatives to walk away from their own country's currency. I know. That's you know talk about confidence yeah this is my problem is I think that worldwide not just domestically but worldwide the value of the US dollar right now is more predicated on the what people think than the fundamentals of the dollar itself I believe that's and right. again that yeah. confidence is subject to erosion at a moment's notice
0: sure and you have people like macron out there you know just in the wind you know saying well we should need to break away from you know, the United States and all that and people get nervous you know with that stuff because yep. they believe it you know it's in the it's in the media so they so they believe it yeah. and on you know there's some interesting things going on with the the retail outlets you see where the dollar dollar stores are really in a lot of trouble and they're having um, all kinds of trouble with closing them whole foods just closed the San Francisco store do you see that closed it down because it's so mm. crazy out in San Francisco
1: so well, what many, is a dollar store now? Is it still a dollar? or Is it a dollar? Uh, I think it would be $90. more like a
0: five dollars store. And then
1: I just no, saw. But I mean, uh, didn't they raise the price on everything? It used to actually literally be a dollar. Oh, it used to years but ago. But they have thousands I don't think of it is stores. Anymore.
0: But I just saw this uh, this article, which is interesting, and I wonder why. Uh, Subway is trying to sell their whole thing. Uh, it was now being valued at seven billion, below the ten billion that was originally looking for at auction. Wow, that's that's not good for Subway.
1: No. Well, there's slowdowns in the economy that you then have to account for when you try to look at the value of your company, right? So if, if automobile industry companies are looking at their value, they're looking at their sales. If the sales are down considerably, well, the value of the company is going to go down considerably. And so Subway is experiencing that. Although Subway seems to me to be, uh, type of business that would be a little bit more resistant to a weaker economy. I mean, it's a very popular place for e- people to eat. It's, you know, better quality food than a lot of places. Yeah, it's not it's bad. Still it's, inexpensive. It's, it's you know, fast bad. food, you know what I mean, as, sure. as a general rule. Um, but uh, again, it's relatively inexpensive. It seems like it would be the kind of place that would still benefit, even in a weaker economic environment, but everybody's going to be subject to economic slowdowns. And this is the problem I think the Fed has to face, is that they're getting two sides of the information coming to them. One, the inflation is not dissipating. Wage prices are still going up. Cost of goods are still going up. And yet they're beginning to see some slowdowns in some of the economic areas, which would indicate they should start what? Lowering rates. You know, how do you do both simultaneously? You can't raise rates to fight inflation and lower rates to create uh, an economic activity to fight off a recession. You cannot do both simultaneously. The Fed is stuck Stuck, in this middle ground in here. The middle with you. And uh, I think they're on the wrong side of the equation because they're still, again, they've decided between this balance that they're leaning toward the inflation as the bigger problem than moving the economy forward. With Fred, so they're more interested now in rates going up going forward to fight off inflation than to lower them to try to stimulate the economy, even if it's so showing signs of slowdown. That's going to be a problem.
0: If you want to jump in uh, before we go, we're about to close out with Fred, uh, Patrick at One Radio Network. Here's an email from Gertie. My uncle passed away in December and left something in a trust for my sibling and I. His understanding and directive was for Fidelity to handle the distribution of the funds and trust. However, Fidelity has passed on the handling this to, um, and sibling. my sibling is now recruiting a new trustee to review and allocating funds. Apparently, reasoning is fidelity felt there wasn't enough money to be worth their time is this typical it seems to me on my uncle's end fairly clear his directive and understanding was fidelity agreed to handle this of a perhaps paranoid su- suspicion that work works events are not are what's causing them to stall that what they're saying do you know anything about that hmm.
1: well you know that's interesting um Obviously there's gonna be a a legal contract that was signed uh, when the trust was established and whether or not that particular banking institution is obligated to sustain the trust probably came with a number of outs for the bank. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm sure they left themselves with the ability to say, you know, like they're alluding to, it's just not enough money for us to deal with. So we're gonna set a minimum limit of X dollars. If you don't have that much, we're not gonna control the account anymore and you're gonna have to get your own trustee. Um, I haven't heard of that happening before uh, necessarily, but I wouldn't be surprised if a number of the banking institutions just decided, you know, to try to deal with larger quantities of of capital and not have to do the work involved, you know, but I would think that she probably has some flexibility there and maybe it's an opportunity to get a a better qualified person to manage the trust.
0: What's our... What are the benefits of trust in general, just big picture?
1: The tax consequences, Taxi. you know, it's a way of transferring wealth between generations without uh, the big tax hits. And for those people that accumulate a lot of wealth, uh, you know, trusts have always been a viable method of leaving money together and being able to direct how it is handled. Otherwise, you have things like probate that you have to go through with the states and, you know, you have an awful lot of legal things to deal with when people pass and, and leave money for the family. A lot of that can be avoided with the use of trusts. You know, there's some famous stories of the biggest bankers in history who've established trusts with their funds to prevent anybody from attacking capital. If, uh, for example, a company gets sued, the trust is usually eliminated from the suit because it doesn't belong to anybody, it's set separately. Mm -hmm. So there was the famous story I think it was Rockefeller had put his cat in a trust and yeah, you know, the cat had attacked the neighbor and somebody said they want to sue rockefeller and they said you can't the, tr- the cat is in a trust all you could do is sue the, the trust and the trust has only one asset in it it's the cat <laughs> so if you sue the trust the only thing you'll ever get is the cat <laughs> so there are definitely some interesting ways to uh, use trusts to protect one's wealth but generally that's the idea it's either to, to um, make it much more viable and easy to transfer wealth between generations and also to segregate funds from any kind of, uh, let's say, attack from outside resources. If anybody should get sued for some other reason, any funds within the trust would be segregated and not, you know, attached.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be a fun year, Freddie. Uh, tell folks about your company and what you do there and of how they should how they should think about uh, maybe spending, trading some of their Federal Reserve notes for gold and silver. That's a good trade.
1: Well, you know, I've been convinced for close to 40 years now that, you know, the fundamental problem with paper money which is it constantly loses purchasing power because it remains an unbacked currency and that will be the continued way we will be operating going forward that people should recognize that paper money is unrealistic to be a method of sustaining purchasing power over time and diversifying has been a huge benefit for those people that have done it no matter what economic environment we've had in the past 10 or 20 years what one th- thing that has stood out has become quite clear those people that were diversified did far better than people that were too overly weighted in any one market whatever that market may have been and it has shifted you know some one point it was the stock market that was overvalued and it crashed and at one point it was real estate and it crashed and at one point it was money markets and they crashed <laughs> and at other points it was municipal funds so there are always problems going forward we can't anticipate a perfect example again one show ago we had not even had one word about a banking yeah, problem it was. and yeah. yet we had a whole bunch of fundamental problems that already were recognizable enough to where it made sense for people even then to say hey we should diversify and own some physical gold and silver going forward from here all i can say is again i will reiterate My growing concern is that the size of problems that come up as we move forward in time now tend to be so much larger that their impact is so much greater and they pose a greater risk to people going forward, more so than any other time in in our history Mm. being in this industry, that I am absolutely, absolutely convinced people should be diversifying their wealth. Anybody who's sitting on any large amounts of money within the banking system at this point has got to see what's been happening. The purchasing power of their money is eroding rapidly. So they should own physical gold and silver coins and do that now. Get possession, have them locked up in your particular own hands, and then you have that protection of your wealth, and it'll be a lot safer going forward. It'll be a lot more sustainable in purchasing power going forward. It'll create a lot of peace of mind It'll really ease people's concerns about all the volatility in the economy. And then as things occurred, you know, people will be able to say, well, at least I have that physical gold and silver representing a portion of my wealth. I'm not exposed 100% to the paper world. Yeah. And I am absolutely convinced that there's never been a better time for people to do this than what we're experiencing right now.
0: Fred's telephone number is 800-878-2646. It's a team there and talk to anyone, 800 800- Eight seven eight two six four six. But people can talk to you if they if they want to and ask for you. Absolutely. 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 And who knows? You know. I mean, Zelensky keeps knocking on the on the on Janet Yellen's door. You know, every night saying I want more money. So who knows how much more money they're going to print? <laughs> I mean, sure. You know. I mean, this is a Ukraine war. Doesn't look like it's going to go away.
1: Not like any other war has ever gone away, right? Yeah. You know, uh, again, the Iraq war was supposed to be a a billion dollars expense. Yeah, right. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was supposed to be a billion dollars. It was 11 trillion by the time we were done. So, you know, the fact that we're going to keep pleading money for anything that comes up, whether it be legitimate or not. And, and I'm not suggesting that all these things aren't, you know, necessary, even if we accept the notion that they're correct or, you know, that we have an obligation morally to say we're gonna support Ukraine because we think what is being done is is wrong on a, on a moral basis, right? So we're gonna support you. But again, you know, people have been making this argument for decades that government needs to decide where is the relevant v- value of, of capital expenditure? Is it to support Americans? And our economy or is it to play policemen around the world and try to solve all the problems worldwide because we think we're morally obligated to do so i don't think we can afford to do it but we do live in a an integrated world you know it's it's kind of hard to be as george washington would have wanted an isolated america you just can't exist like that anymore it's a global economy so uh, with that comes an awful lot of other obligations that we may have to face going forward and all i can say is you just never know what's going to happen next, right? I mean, last month again, we haven't even had the first bank failure, so who knows what we'll be talking about
0: next? <laughs> next one, a final one just just popped in from Amy. I work in a college town, and I'm often astounded at how cheap and financially uninformed many academics are. I've thought that there were there could be a stronger connection between intelligence. And financial knowledge. Has Fred seen this connection too? Hmm.
1: Sure. Yeah. I used to call it the dumbing down of America. So I remember having a conversation with a man named Eustace Mullins who wrote, oh, yeah. authored a number of incredible mm-hmm. books. Uh, the most powerful one was Secrets of the Federal Reserve. Um, you know, we were talking about this in the 1980s that there was a correlation between the level of education in America and the value of money, hmm. that there was an absolute mm-hmm. correlation between the two. Now, there's no causation there. There's merely correlation. However, we were looking at a chart of the dollar and its purchasing power and the relative uh, knowledge of average Americans over a period of decades. And as the American average intelligence kept dropping, so was the value of the dollar and they were actually parallel. So there was a um, study that was done and it was probably now 15 years ago and I'm sure it's more than true now, But the point of the study was that the education level of what used to be high school, what people knew when they graduated high school, was now the equivalent of what people knew when they graduated college. So those that didn't attend college didn't even have the basic knowledge that those in the 1960s and 70s had gained just from attending high school. And, of course, I've seen the the recent studies of what people know. Those men on the street interviews. Amazing. I mean, they got to make you laugh, but they're so disheartening when they stop 20 and 30 year olds and they ask them things like, what country is Mount Rushmore in? And they can't tell you. Who did we who did we uh, battle against in the Revolutionary War? Who did we gain our independence from? They can't tell you. People who cannot find uh, New York on a map you know, don't know where China is I've seen on a map. some of those I mean, interviews. It just,
0: it's like crazy. It's like, what?
1: It is crazy. <laughs> and yet they're real. And it's just amazing the lack of basic information that just doesn't seem to exist anymore. I, I don't know how that happened. I don't know whether it's like we're going to argue the educational system was, whether they did it on purpose, whether this was an overall plan the, the dumbing down of America, because, you know, listen, you don't want as George Carlin used to say, the last thing you want is an intelligent, free-thinking public. <laughs> right. You don't want that. <laughs> no, you, know? no. you want anything but that. So, yeah, I find it uh, very interesting that you know the more that I age, the more I find a huge gap in what I used to know when I graduated high school comparatively to what people who are walking around America today just don't even understand. And I've, I just don't get it.
0: I would argue that those that followed Andy and now you and you when you and Andy for the last 15 years uh, know more about the world of money than a master's in finance or something from a college. I understand the basics more. I don't
1: know that I can get. All right. There's a so it's a more of a finite you know area of knowledge okay i don't expect that most americans are going to understand the nature of the federal reserve or how the open market committee works or what an interest rate hike means to the economy or how the fed manipulates lowering and raising rates and what impact that has how the treasury department functions how money circulates around the country you wouldn't expect that average person to necessarily get that but some basic information seems to be you know (laughs) necessary and i don't know how they don't teach this stuff in in school the idea of you know what establishes the value of a dollar or how you know general banking works but yeah it's it's pretty disheartening and um i i know that the federal reserve board chairman and all the fed governors you know they're all educated with phds from basically the same school of thought Which is, I think, what leads to some of the problems is Mm -hmm. why they don't necessarily see the world the way other people do because they've been taught that this is how things work. Everything comes from, you know, supply and demand and everything is based upon, well, you know, let's focus on the demand side first as opposed to the supply side. That changes the mindset, but that's not something a PhD in economics is going to do because he's been taught, you know, the Keynesian method of economics and that's what they understand. I came at this as a, you know, tabula rasa. So I as started with as nothing. A, as a who? As a blank a, slate. Uh, okay, yeah, sorry. A,
0: blank, a blank slate.
1: Tabula yeah. rasa, yes. Yeah. Ah. A blank slate. Ah. I didn't come in with any pre-existing notions. I came in trying to understand a fundamental problem that I had. It was just a mental problem. Hmm. I could not understand how we had a constitutional word that said, you know, no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender for payment of debt. How do we have that Still existing in the Constitution of the United States, there's never been a Supreme Court decision that has overturned that. Yet we have money in America that's not backed by gold and silver. How do these two things work together? I could not get that in my head. I couldn't figure <laughs> it out. That's what started you out, that's, right? Well, that's what started me down the trail. That's great. It was that 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 just weird kind of, you know, these two things can't both exist. <laughs> How do they exist simultaneously? I don't get it. And it sent me down a path that led me to understand my god the manipulation of money was like this massive massive thing in the u.s and it affected everyone's wealth and it was completely out of the control of the public Mm. and then i went back and looked at what the founding fathers had done you know simple things like the first bank charters of the united states which would have been the equivalent of a central bank then we didn't have a central bank per se at that moment we had a bank charter that was granted to authorize this particular institution to be the Bank of the U.S. First, bank, but of the only States, right? first nine, bank of the United
0: States, right? 1792
1: 93. to 1812. Yeah. But here was the hook they were only given a 20 year charter. Yeah. And the reason was, was because they wanted to have an opportunity to look at 20 years later and say, how did they do? Right. Did they do their job? You know, as if we could say to the Federal Reserve, okay, we established you in 1913. Let's go out 20 years. Now it's 1933. How have you done? (laughs) And if you're not doing a good job, guess what? We're not renewing your charter. You no longer exist. We're going to create a new institution. Give them this now authority. Let them run the game for a while. See how they do. And we've moved away from that because what we did with the Federal Reserve per, is pretty much given an open-ended yeah, window.
0: Perpetual charter. Perpetual, that's it. And, the, and the Fed, of course, is private. It's so interesting when you look at 1792, 20 years later, 1812, and that's what the War of 1812 was about, many people
1: argue. Big pushback against the renewing that second charter. And then when yeah. Andrew Jackson became president after the second charter expired, he recognized the problem. Yeah. And he was actually running his presidential campaign on the idea that, look, if you elect me, I will throw these bastard bankers out yeah. and reestablish the banking system the way it was supposed to be back in the 1790s. He, he did, right? We're gonna, yeah. and he did. He had to fire one, two, three, four. I think there were like seven treasury secretaries <laughs> because every time he would put a treasury secretary in in authority and then tell him, do not remove, do not reestablish the charter. The treasury secretary was getting pressure from european bankers and they wanted to do it and he said no so he fired him and he put another guy in his place he wouldn't (laughs) do it either he fired him and put another seven down the line he finally found a guy with the balls to say okay Okay, i'm with you and we're not going to renew this charter and then from 1837 forward if you look at what happened in america up to the civil war we had one of the greatest expansions of monetary value in america in u.s history Wow. It was a great period of growth for the U.S. Yeah. Had it not been for the interruption of the Civil War, that probably would have continued for another two or three decades.
0: Hmm. And and for his uh, for his efforts, as you know, they took a couple pot shots at old uh, Jackson,
1: too. Yeah, well, <laughs> he was a kind of an arrogant sort of guy. Oh, he I mean, was. It's not like he yeah. was the most pleasant president. But, you know, anyway, he did stand for some really great things. And one of those being this fundamental understanding of You know why we had bank charters that were only granted 20-year status yeah you know again had it not been for the civil war we might still have that um, a bank charter system where after every 20 years we got to either renew or not i wish we had that because wouldn't it be great if we could turn around to the federal reserve and say you know here we are 120 years later and guess what you guys have reduced the value of money from the day you took over in 1913 to now in 2023 The original value of a dollar is now worth about two and a half cents.
0: And and even in in 1980, if I remember what the show is from Andy, he used to say there was only a trillion dollars in the money supply in 1980. I mean, what's up with that? So in what 40 years or what was it? 1982.
1: Yeah, believe it or not, that's 40 years now. 40 years,
0: and there must be. We don't even know the number now, Fred. Do we? It's. No, hey, hey, it's
1: 30 plus, okay. but I'll tell you what's funny. I was watching an old TV program, not that old. Uh, it's called Boston Legal. Oh, yeah. It was with uh, James Spader yeah. and William Shatner. Oh, it's a funny legal program. Sure. I, I don't know how dated it is. I know it, it was, I want to say it was the 90s, but I, I, I think so. I think it was in the 2000s because they do make references to 9-11. Huh. So I think it has to be in the 2000s. But at one point, they're they're having a legal argument and they raised the issue that, oh my God, the country is nine point four trillion dollars worth of debt. You know, how can we possibly continue <laughs> and sustain this? and they're they're arguing and freaking out about the fact that the government was nine point four trillion dollars in debt at that moment. And I just started laughing about that. I was like, oh my God, if they only knew where we would be now, with thirty one trillion dollars, well,
0: even that I don't buy that thirty one because that thing hasn't well, no, moved we know hardly. Only the debt, right? Yeah, that 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 even the bonded debt's got to be more than thirty one, hasn't it? I mean, look at the. I,
1: I no? think that's fairly accurate because that's likely? only the treasury bonds and stuff that we we can actually count accurately. But it hasn't moved
0: up thing. though in the last uh, uh four or five years, and all the money being. A lot of the Fed has bought a lot of these Treasuries. Why isn't that number bigger?
1: I I don't get <laughs> well, that. Remember now, every time the Fed moves stuff onto its balance sheet, it's sort of you know it, it disappears. smoking and bit. mirrors,
0: but yeah, smoke and mirrors.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it, they're gimmicking the game, but we know that real numbers are astronomical. I mean, between hmm. Medicaid, Social Security, and the bonded debt, we're over a hundred trillion in oh, actual debt. In so. actual debt,
0: everything. Yeah,
1: and even yeah. Jerome Powell says that is unsustainable.
0: You think? I mean, what? What are you going to? How are you going to pay off a hundred trillion dollars? There's
1: no government way to do it. So yeah. the only way to do it is print money. Yeah. So if they're going to print their way out of that problem over the next decade, I think I've said this before. If not, we will be fifty trillion in debt within the next decade. The number is going to be. You and I, hopefully, we will still talking then. <laughs> we're talking fifty trillion dollars. And the, dollars the, in, and the in interest in on debt. our
0: the yearly interest on our debt today um, is about. trillion, isn't it? In that range. Wow. A yearly interest that we, the people, pay on this debt.
1: Which we can't barely, we barely can afford it. Barely. Oh, and by the way, we've run out of money. So if the government doesn't raise the debt limit within the next, like, two months, (laughs) uh, we're going to have another one of these real economic. And I'll tell you what, my biggest concern about the dollar going forward is going to be the credit rating agencies. If they should alter the credit rating on the U S dollar, we are doomed (laughs) for a disaster in the dollar's value. If we get to that point where Congress starts screwing around and plays chicken with this debt limit. I mean, I I don't think politically they would have the guts to do it, but even if they get to the point where it gets critical, uh, the credit agencies can turn around and just say, Hey, you know, we think the dollars, uh, very disconcerting at these levels and we're going to drop it from aaa to aa or mm. lower and let me tell you something if the credit rating agencies begin to reduce their level of rating on the dollar we are in serious trouble gold silver prices would skyrocket and the dollar's purchasing power would implode so i hope congress gets its act together quickly uh, janet yellen bought us till about the end of june july i think the latest i've heard is perhaps the first week of august We've manipulated money by not making payments to certain accounts. We've stopped funding dozens of pension accounts already and just told these people that we will hopefully make it up to them when Congress goes ahead and raises the Mm. debt limit. So Congress has to do that. There is no choice because this is not future spending we're talking about. This is money we've already spent. These are checks the government wrote. That are floating around already and about to come back to the bank and we need the funds in there to make the checks good in order to do that they have to raise the debt limit so this is money the government's already spent. already spent they can't turn around and say well we just don't want to pay that it's it's too late but if they don't make good on these payments that obligation is going to filter down through the economy where people begin to question the government's ability to make good on its debt instruments it's game over
0: well, Mr. Fred, uh, we have to make way for another uh, show coming up in about 12 minutes. And boy, we stayed a long time with you. Uh, if you think these people are crackers and they're not going to turn into real people, <laughs> just call Fred at 800-878-2646.
1: Crackers. That's us.
0: That's us. Thanks, Fred, for being here. We pre- really appreciate it. Have fun. Say hi to Stan. Always a
1: pleasure, Patrick. Okay, brother. to see you. Stay healthy and Take happy. Care. We'll see you soon.
0: Thanks for your support. Patrick Timpone, red Red, uh, one com. We're going to make way for Varus Ahmad. He's a cool guy and we're going to talk about all the fun subjects when it comes to proteins and carbs and fats and whatever. Keto, carnivore, I don't know. He's a cool guy and uh, he's coming up. So I got to take a little break here and we will see you in uh, 12 minutes. So don't go far. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is one radionetwork.com.